This is episode number 31 with Chris Hawker. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. up all the greats out there hope you're having a fantastic week and we've got a big episode today on the school of greatness it's with one of my early on mentors and now good friends chris hawker now for those that know who do not know who chris hawker is he is a famous inventor kind of behind the scenes type of guy but in front of the scenes type of products he's got over 30 products i believe on the market to date He's been in everywhere as in uh, Costco and Walmart and Bed Bath & Beyond and Best Buy and pretty much every type of consumer goods store you can think of. He's got some type of product or some type of influence in those stores. So this episode is all about how does someone go from idea to landing on the shelves of Walmart? Or how does it, what does it take to come up with a great idea and become innovative in business? And we also talk about the importance of design and how this comes into play with your inventions or anything in life. So this is going to be a very interesting episode. I'm super pumped for this, having Chris in the studio here in L.A. Very excited to share with you a wealth of his information. One of the smartest guys I've ever met, literally a genius, and uh, couldn't be happier to have my good friend here in the studio. But before we get into that, want to give a quick shout-out to the fan of the week, and I got a post on Instagram. I keep getting all your guys' pictures and posts of where you're watching the show. So keep it up. Keep tagging me on Instagram and sharing where you're watching, excuse me, where you're listening uh, to the School of Greatness all over the world. And this week is with Natalie Sisson. And she says, working out, overlooking an incredible view of the strip of Las Vegas while listening to Lewis Howes' School of Greatness podcast, hashtag hustling, dream big first million. And it's got a sweet view of the strip with her on the treadmill going pretty fast. So thanks, Natalie Sisson, uh, for the shout out. Pumped that you're listening while you're running. So without further ado, I am super pumped to introduce you to my mentor and good friend, Chris Hawker. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off take your business further with the smart and flexible american express business gold card you can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit u.s restaurants and gas stations that's the powerful backing of american express 
four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Okay, quick math. The less your business depends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep, obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite, and you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com com slash greatness netsuite.com slash greatness again head to netsuite.com slash greatness welcome everyone thanks for coming on today i'm with my good friend and early mentor chris hawker what is up chris hey lewis we are in my studio in los angeles beautiful view today looking out the the windows here of los angeles hollywood hills downtown Looks just like Ohio. Yeah, right. <laughs> Chris is from Columbus and is, in my mind, a very famous inventor. And we're talking about inventions in general today, but also innovation, design, designing your life, your business, all these good things. So I want to get started and, and kind of talk about inventions and first ask you a few simple questions. And how many products have you actually invented well, I've helped bring over 70 products to market, mm-hmm. um, probably of my own conception, maybe a third of those okay. were my own ideas, but I've also then collaborated with uh, other inventors and companies to bring products to market. So right, right. The, the total number is a little over 70 right now, though we've got a few more on the way this year. Over 70, and how, how many are currently being sold, I guess, or on the market? Uh, uh, probably about half that number. Half, okay. So about... 35 yeah. a lot of products have a, a life cycle they come and then sell for a while and then and then go and so and where are your products at where are they located uh, uh all over you know, pretty much every major retailer in um, america so we've got products at walmart products at target products at uh, grocery chains specialty stores bed bath and beyond uh you know niche and markets sporting goods all mm. over the place and tell me how you first got started well, when I was a teenager, I worked in a fish store and I started an aquarium maintenance business where I would set up fancy aquariums and doctor's offices in the homes of wealthy individuals. And I uh, specialized in reef tanks, which are like fairly sophisticated saltwater aquariums with invertebrates, corals in particular. And uh, I started having ideas for my own filtration products. So I, I, would, I learned from uh, someone I you know, found in the Yellow Pages who did acrylic fabrication, how to do acrylic fabrication. And then I worked with him to develop uh, some of my you know, fil- filter ideas, which I would sell to my clients. So that was my first experience with doing 
uh, sort of product development was right. was uh, protein skimming filters for saltwater aquariums. And then when I went to college, I went to Ohio State University, and I uh, started when I right went to college. I had to shut down my aquarium maintenance business, but I continued to try to manufacture and, and sell my filters, which were called the uh, Trident Series Protein Skimmers. Protein Skimmer is a filter that uh, scrubs protein using a column of aerated water from the water in order to purify mm-hmm. purify it for the sensitive invertebrate creatures, which are very sensitive. So I, I, I started um, sort of not mass producing this, but making them and selling them through mail order and uh, did that through college selling uh, filtration components. And then the real breakthrough came uh, as in my senior year of college uh, where I, uh, I studied, actually got a degree in comparative religion mm-hmm. from Ohio State. I, uh, I was already kind of in business, so I was studying uh, what my passion was, which was understanding uh, humans and why they do what they do. That's what I was trying to figure out with that degree. But um, <laughs> during my senior year, I, I started developing an, a professional quality algae scraper. So a, a tool to remove the algae that grows on the walls of the tank. And that having been a professional algae remover uh, at, at the time, the only thing available was a sponge on a stick or a magnet scraper, which is fine if you get at one tank, but if you're cleaning tanks all day long, the magnet's inefficient and doesn't work very well. So I, I just wanted a high quality product that was like a carpenter's hammer. It didn't need to be miraculous. It just needed to not be junk. And I figured uh, I wouldn't be the only person who would be interested in that. I, I thought I'd sell you know, a couple thousand to other professionals. Mm-hmm. And so I developed this by calling up companies who manufactured things, injection molders, or people who made different types of rods and materials, and just asking questions. I didn't know how to do anything, and no one around me to teach me. So in order to learn, I just started calling up factories and saying, hey, I'm trying to make an algae scraper. I, I did this nice drawing of what I think it should look <laughs> like and how I think it should work. Can you give me some advice? And I, and I got into a lot of dead ends uh, where people were like, well, I don't know what to tell you. But I, I found certain people who were extremely willing to, to talk to me. And in particular, my, it turned out that I had a family relative, Rex Clark, who had an injection molding company in Vancouver, Washington, as a distant cousin. And he taught me about injection molding, like top to bottom, explained all the, the ins and outs of how you can make a plastic part. And so with his tutelage and then instruction from other people who I, who were willing to open up and I found people were generally very willing if I called them and asked them questions to, to tell me everything. And, uh, so I, I finally sort of figured out all the components of the, this device. And then I started selling them. And then, um, the way I sold them was through a company called Kent Marine. So I didn't want to start a company and try to sell the products into the industry myself. You license them. So, well, I, that, that particular deal is what we call a private labeling arrangement. Mm-hmm. I bought the molds sure, with a loan from my parents, having uh, blown all my uh, uh, money I had from selling filter components on beer in college right. and uh, some travel uh, <laughs> or some road trips. But then, uh, I, so my parents loaned me some money. I bought the molds and I would sell I, I struck a deal with uh, Jack Kent at Kent Marine, who was a guy who I had met because he was buying some of my filter components. Mm-hmm. And 
he said, yeah, let's, let's do an algae scraper. And so he would buy them and sell them and I would get them made. And it was a, it was a real cool arrangement. He would place an order with me. I would place an order with the factory. The factory would ship the goods to him and he would pay me and I would pay the factory. So I never had to come up with the cash. He came up with the cash and you didn't have to warehouse him. I didn't have to warehouse him. I didn't have to do anything. So I was basically acting as a broker drop shipping basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we sold 35,000 units in the first year. So, wow. Yeah. It turned out. More than 2,000. More than 2,000. <laughs> this afforded me the great privilege of never having to get a job with my religion degree. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what am I going to do? So, um, yeah, I uh, started selling the algae scraper. And I was like, it immediately became, you know, much more successful than I ever imagined. I was like, wow, inventing is easy this is an easy way to make money i'm gonna just do this over and over and start a company developing uh my inventions because mm. i had a lot of ideas i'd i was uh you know engineers people always think oh you could always tell he was an engineer because he would take the radio apart and fix it and then rebuild it uh, and uh i was not that kid i was a kid who would buy the radio take it apart and then stare at it and just admire how cool it was looking. So I had no idea how it worked. I was like, not technical in that way, but I had a great appreciation for the the parts and like mm. the beauty of these designed components. And I mean, even as a very little kid, like five, six years old, my mom would take me to garage sales. And what I would do is I'd buy things like old typewriters and radios and I'd bring them home to take them apart. That was my hobby, taking things apart, not to fix them or to understand them, but to appreciate them. So over the years, I just developed a strong appreciation and a, and a palette, if you will, for what's cool, what turns me on. Mm. And uh, so having done this algae scraper and had the success, I was like, oh, I, I know what's cool. I, I, that's what I was telling them. I know what's cool. I'm going to start just pumping stuff out. Boom. Cool boom, stuff. Boom. Yeah. Cool stuff. And yeah. that was my sort of dream when I started. So I ended up, uh, hiring an industrial designer and then a second industrial designer and, you know, developing to sell products. Um, so after my algae scrapers, we, we expanded on that algae scraper line and then moved into guitar accessories. I actually, right after college, immediately after college, I uh, went to guitar building school in Phoenix at the Roberto Van School of Luthery, which is the only guitar building school in the world because I was a guitar player and it kind of fit in with this idea of uh, being an inventor, being mm. a product developer. And so um, then I branched and I, I decided not to pursue it as a career, though I did build a few guitars, which was a, a great experience. But I also learned that it's not a great way to make a living. It's a lot of hard <laughs> it takes work. months and months to get one guitar or something, right? Yeah. And many hours, tedious work. I'm not, I don't have the attention to detail or the patience. Mm. And it's, it's kind of hard. It's, it's basically like being a cabinet maker, only they pay you way less. Wow. Because people just, think oh a $2,500 guitar that's an expensive guitar and actually that guy's making like 10 bucks an hour wow. if, if he made it himself because of the amount of time the cost of the materials etc so uh but what I did do is then we started designing some guitar accessories and uh basically my next like five or six products totally flopped I mean just uh, disastrous we did like guitar string winder and when you thought it was gonna be easy I thought, the first one was a hit the first one was a hit. I got very lucky yeah. and and Jack Kent, who was the, the the man who owned the company who was selling the algae scraper, was really, uh, I was very fortunate mm. to run into this guy because he took me under his wing. 
And even though I was selling him goods, he was like, well, here's how you should do this, Chris, because obviously you're just a young guy, but he, you seem like a sharp kid. I'm going to just take you under my wing. I mean, he was very explicit about it. And so he's like, you should charge me twice what you get him from the factory for. <laughs> yeah, no. And I was like, I was going to like charge him like way less than that. Right. So, he, and then he, he taught me about margins. He taught me about wow. all the ins and outs of how you bring a product to market, how you get it made and sold. Though he specialized in chemical stuff. So the algae scraper was a hard good. And so he didn't know about that. I actually knew more about that than he did. Mm. Um, so we developed this like great partnership and mentorship where mm. he, he became my first real, you know, business mentor other than my father who had always been a businessman and sort of taught me mm. some theories or ideas about business, but not didn't, he was an insurance agent. So he didn't really know anything that would directly help me with product development. So Jack became my first uh, person there. And, right. and uh, how, how important do you think it is to have a mentor early on? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think there are very, very few instances of people who, achieve any level of greatness without standing on the shoulders of other people mm. who are eager generally right. looking for people who young whippersnappers <laughs> up and comers who they can hitch their wagon to because they can thrive on the energy and and you know i find myself in that position too like I, now it's like for me having the opportunity to share what i've learned gives me a legacy about you know i i figured all this stuff out kind of the hard way. I had some mentors, but I've also cut my own path and having gotten all this hard won knowledge, I don't want it to stop with me. It's, mm -hmm. it's way more fun to share it and get other people right doing what I'm doing. So, right. right. Well, it's fun having you on right now and, sh and talking about this just because you were one of my first mentors and you helped me in my growth so much. And that's something I talk about on the show a lot is the importance of having mentors to reach basically the top or the next level or continuing getting the next level. Well, and, and just to comment on that, I'll say in a really great mentorship relationship, the mentor learns just as much from the mentee mm. as the other way around. So like mm. when you came into my office and started showing up, <laughs> Lewis had a bugging you, <laughs> bugging me, had a desk. We gave, we gave him a desk in the kitchen <laughs> of the office and we would just go on walks every day and, and brainstorm about what he was doing and he would brainstorm what I was doing. But I was teaching you about some basics of business and inventing and, and product design and marketing and everything, all those things. And, uh, but I immediately began learning from you about passion and about focus and drive, uh, because you had those things in, in much greater quantity than I did. <laughs> and so I was feeding off of you right. just as you were, feeding off of me at mm. the same time. And that's really like in a mentorship relationship, I think an, an important thing to understand is you want to pick students mm. who aren't just taking, mm. but they're giving back because mm. it's, that's where you get the most value. And also it's the most fun. And plus if you pick students who are going to go on to great things, it makes you look really good. So thank you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. When I first, you know, I first met Chris through my ex-girlfriend uh, because I was basically injured. I had a, you know, a huge cast on and broken my wrist, just retired from football. And I made this like little cast sleeve. And I told my ex-girlfriend, I was like, God, I really want to like take this to market or sell it. And I was like, I need to find an inventor. And she was like, Oh, I know a famous inventor. He's done like this 
big power squid and all these other products. And so you had just moved back, I think like two weeks yeah, before that. I'd been in uh, Santa Cruz, California for three years. Yeah. Taking a break from the weather. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you just moved back and I go, I have to meet this guy. Let's meet him. Like, I don't care where he's at. I'll, I'll stalk him. But let's go. <laughs> yeah. And I show up and I was like this thug. Like showing up with <laughs> a backwards a cap, your yeah. <laughs> <laughs> baggy jeans, and like just getting out of playing football. And I had this thing on my cast. Didn't I have it on right then? Yeah, you were wearing it. I was wearing this thing that I like sourced from China. And uh, and then I just bugged you. You're like, eh, I don't have time for you. I'm like getting settled back in Columbus. And I was like, I will do whatever. Right. He's like, <laughs> I'll, I'll come in tomorrow and we'll talk and i was like all right come in and we'll talk and then and then the next day he's there too and i'm like uh okay, okay well you can come in for an hour a day yeah i get and then pretty soon it was like just five days a week and yeah and there was a trade there too you became my personal trainer and yes then yes you kicked my ass so i added value to, i added value i didn't just take right no you were adding, that's that's a key to finding a good mentor is like adding lots of value if right. possible like if you're going to ask someone for their knowledge and wisdom it's yeah. not if it's a, if it's a one-way street it'll run out of gas real yeah, fast exactly yeah so i would train you a few days a week in the gym with one arm right <laughs> try to like do one arm pull-ups with you or whatever and then we would take walks and you'd teach me everything that you knew it was amazing yeah i taught him everything he knows people it was like a year and a, it was like a year <laughs> and a half it was about a year and a half of that right yeah yeah a year and a half yeah it was uh, a blast it was so fun. It was really a great thing. So it was amazing. And you're originally like, oh, we'll do this for like three to six months. And then it just was a year and a half. Yeah. Well, we became great friends. Yeah. So yeah, it was, yeah. It was fun. And, uh, and like I said, I mean, I was learning, I was getting at least as much from it as you were. So it right. was, it was a real great thing. And yeah. I recognized instantly that, I mean, literally the, the minute I met you, I was like, I, I came home and I was like, Summer, that's my wife. I was like, I just met a guy who was like <laughs> very interesting and, <laughs> He's going to be much more successful than I will be. I think. <laughs> like he's got a drive that I've never encountered before, mm. and I want to. I want. I want to learn something about what he's got. So mm. interesting. I'm, yeah. So it was. You know, I'll say one of one of the skills that's driven my own success has been recognizing talent, mm. whether it's in a person or if it's in an idea or a product. Mm. And to just instantly recognize, what, you know, something about it that like there's something there, mm. there's something special, which like maybe towards the end of this uh, conversation we can talk about noticing, mm. which is I think a really we will important skill to develop if you if you want to innovate. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host 
So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there to too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Well, I think it's, you know, mentioning recognizing talent, but then knowing what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, anyone can maybe be like, oh, that's an interesting thing. But if they don't take action on it or whatever, then it's just an interesting idea. Right, right. And what you told me five years ago is that there are no million dollar ideas only million dollar executions that's right so everyone can be like this is a million dollar idea this is going to make me millions but if you don't execute the right way or leverage the talent or whatever it may be then you really have nothing right yeah i mean i got stacks and stacks of ideas like million dollar ideas yeah yeah i got stacks <laughs> of them. but there is you know it does help to start with the right idea sure and the right person so it's it's both it's like right. starting with the right kind of idea mm. and then knowing what to do with it's the second half of the equation so now how do you find the right idea or become innovative in business or in life how does someone innovate well when it comes to inventing coming up with products all the best ideas that i've experienced come from personal experience mm. so uh, I, we deal at my company trident design with a, a lot of inventors. So we, we invent our own things. And then we also uh, work with companies and inventors who uh, have their own ideas. And so they come to us and, you know, here's my idea. What do you think? You know, is this, does this have legs? And, and some of those people come to us with ideas that they came up with because they're trying to get rich. You know, I want to invent something and then I'm going to, it's like winning the lotto. I'm going to come up with this great idea and I'm going to be rich. It's going to be awesome. And then other people come up with an invention because they need it desperately. Mm. I, I have been scraping aquariums and with a sponge on a stick and it's garbage and I need a high quality tool. Why does the carpenter get a nice hammer and I get a sponge on a stick? So, <laughs> you know, so I needed it. It was for me. And, but turns out there were a lot of people like me who were tired of suffering with the low quality stuff. So, um, you know, you could be a surgeon and need a new surgical device. You could be a, you know, police officer and need something to help you with your job. You could be a passionate 
hobbyist of you know a winemaker or, or whatever it is but then out of your own personal experience you come up with a problem that needs to be solved and no one's done the right thing and there, there isn't a solution yet or you don't think there is one so drawing on your personal experience either your job or your hobby or your passion to identify the ideas is is where most of the best invention ideas come from because the uh because you know the customer. Whereas if you're trying to just make money, who's the customer? You're not really, you know, haven't identified a customer. The customer is like some theoretical person that you don't know intimately well. But if if you design something that is for someone just like you and, and, and you know that if you saw this thing, you would have to buy it because it fulfilled a need that you desperately had then there's a good chance that that product's going to succeed. Mm. And so that's where that's where product ideas come from. And, mm. and so I guess that's... So filling a need is usually the, the best one. Yeah, for, for coming for up yourself. with... For, for yourself. For yourself, yeah. And, and some people, you know, if you become a professional in an industry of a product company, you develop a, a skill to know what the market needs, mm. not based on personal experience. Sure. So companies innovate in a, in a different way based on intimate knowledge of a category and what's out there and, and seeing holes in the marketplace. But inventors, in, in independent inventors are people trying to come up with new things, not just incremental improvements mm. need to draw on, on their own experience. So it's one thing to innovate and find great ideas, but really monetizing those ideas is, you know, how you build a business, I guess. So how does someone go from taking an idea to getting into Walmart? And I know there's many steps, I guess, or phases or yeah. facets, but how do you, what's like, you know, the quick overview? Yeah. Well, so if someone has an idea for a product and, uh, they want to get it on the market, there basically there are two paths. You can either start a company and make it, or you can license it. Mm. So starting in a company and making it is, is kind of the uh, the obvious answer, um, though it's the hard one. And then the easy one is develop it to a certain point, and then uh, typically you get a patent or a patent you file for patent protection, and then you license the intellectual property protected by that patent uh, to another company who will make it, sell it, and pay you a royalty. So um, why you would choose one of those paths comes down to you know a few factors. So if you're going to start a company, you have to be able to afford it both time-wise, emotionally, and financially. So if you don't have the wherewithal to gather the funds, either because you have them or can raise them, then starting a company is not an option for you. Yeah. And if you want to keep your day job as a police officer, because, or your night job, <laughs> you, you like, that might be, you like your job. You just had an idea and you want to make money from it, but you're not prepared to come up with a hundred thousand dollars and start going to trade shows and dealing with China or wherever the things being made and having inventory and employees. And you know, you can't do it casually starting a company. If you look out at the world, you don't see too many companies that make products that are run as just an off, you know, on the side business. Sure. Most of them are run by teams of people, you know, mm. large teams of people who mm -hmm. work 70 hours a week, you know, I mean, it's not a small task. So the biggest factor other than that wherewithal issue then is lifestyle choice. Mm. Like, what do you want 
from your life. And like one of the things we uh, say at Trident is like, not every great idea is an economic opportunity for you. So like, <laughs> like if you invent the new type of internal combustion engine and you're not Ford, <laughs> you know, like it's going to be tough to monetize that. Mm. So if you come up with an invention idea that is, you know, really, really big and you're not a really, really big company, then it, it, it or a really, really ballsy, audacious person like Elon Musk or something like that, you're not going to find that to be a, in a productive path. So, right. uh, you know, back, it kind of comes back to that first idea, uh, too, about like, what's the best idea? I, I guess a point I forgot to mention is important to invent something or have an idea whose scale is within your reasonable reach. So what type of things do you guys invent in general? We're doing simpler consumer products mostly, but we also do medical devices mm-hmm. and things with you know, ranging from uh, consumer electronics, housewares products, hardware products, most famously the power squid, which you mentioned earlier, which is a power strip with flexible um, outlets. So it looks like a squid and the outlets are on their end of little extension cords. It was That was actually my own invention and, and has been my most successful product to date. It's sold several million units. It's licensed to Philips. It's now coming out under the GE brand. It's out under Stanley brand. It's, it's in Bed Bath & Beyond, Costco, everything, right? It's here. been in those places. Yeah. It's, you know, it's come and gone in a lot of places. And, right. And it's, and it's past its heyday, but it's, uh, it's been a lot of knockoffs too. And there's been knockoffs and, you know, like I said, every product has its life cycle. So it, it, it came and, uh, had a, a great show, won a bunch of awards, lots and lots of media press. And, and really that product came out in 2005. I thought of it in 2001. Mm. Um, and then I licensed it. So, you know, back on the licensing option, uh, quick is relative, you know, people think quick and they think, you know, Oh, tiny wings app was programmed in a weekend. And then that guy became a millionaire. (laughs) So like people think the, the, all the news stories about apps and have people thinking, Oh, product is, you can get rich overnight, but an average time frame from like idea to marketplace. If you're starting from scratch as an inventor is realistically three to six years. Mm. Like it's not a fast thing because of all the steps from A to Z that, that have to happen. Like you have to have the idea, you have to develop the product, you have to develop a presentation, you have to file for a patent. Now you have to find someone to license it to, which is a huge task and can take a very long time because you're like identifying targets, trying to chase down meetings. Then you get the meetings, then you got to present the product, you got to get them interested. And if you're just an independent solo inventor, it's very challenging. It's very challenging because a lot of companies have what I call an immune response to inventors. They like have been burned in the past by crazy inventors who, you know, I, I know inventors and some (laughs) of them are indeed quite crazy. Great. Well, by crazy, I mean, they have far more passion than perspective. So they're not like literally crazy though. There are some of those too, but, (laughs) but there's just a lot of people who have unrealistic expectations based on, things that they've seen in the, in the media mm. that aren't real right. or that are like the one in a million story that made the news. Cause it was the one in a million story, but the vast majority of products are not grand slam home runs that made someone rich overnight. They mm. were base hits or doubles that occurred after years and years of effort. And so, yeah, the, but the power squid came out in 2005, you know, after, 
I licensed it to a company called Power Century, which is owned by uh, Fiskars, the office products company. And then it, it launched and it took off very fast. So it was like an overnight success made in four or five years. So it wasn't <laughs> 20 years, but it was it was several sure. years in the making. And then it came out and it, it took off and ultimately sold you know several million units, brought in over a million dollars in royalties. And so that's you know, the licensing side. So you can make the product or you can license it. And mm. the great thing about licensing is you stop your efforts when the entrepreneur is just beginning. You get to keep your day job. You collect a, a check, usually on a quarterly basis, based on the sales of the product that someone else is taking all the effort to do. To promote, to manufacture, and to ship, to whatever, sell. To ensure. Yeah. Warehouse. I mean, there's, Everything. It's a very complicated number of things to do. And I don't want to discourage people from starting companies that make and sell products because people right. start companies and make and sell products and get rich all the time doing that. But you have to go in with your eyes open knowing that it's it's going to be a lifestyle. Right. You're starting a company. Yeah. And you need to do that with your eyes open. And I see many lives ruined by people un blindly going into like, oh, I'm going to start a company and do this thing. And they don't get sound advice and pretty soon they've got a warehouse full of inventory inventory can't sell. <laughs> yeah because everyone's like oh once i'll just get some inventory and then i'll sell it it'll yeah. be easy <laughs> and uh, i'm here to say the hardest part in the equation is selling the goods mm -hmm. developing and inventing stuff is fun and easy and you've done both you've started side companies of products like the thirsty light was one where you manufactured you did everything you try to sell it all mm-hmm and that's one that I was involved in, you know, doing PR for, like in the kitchen, <laughs> right? Uh, for you know, weeks and weeks. But yeah, I, I have. I've I've manufactured quite a few things, and today I manufacture nothing. I focus exclusively on licensing. We help other people to make things, but for my own interest, uh, making and selling things smacks of work, and I have an allergy to <laughs> to work. I like to play all day and yeah. inventing stuff, talking to people, you know cutting deals this to me feels like play or fun yeah yeah so now so you're solely focusing on licensing but creating as well you have a whole design team of designers industrial designers right mm -hmm. but basically it's all about licensing now that's for my own ideas right for you so, yeah so inventors come to you as well mm -hmm. and they say hey i've got this idea how does it work if you like the idea then you say okay i can make this for you for a certain price Right, and then I can help you take it and license it for you. Yeah, so so Trident does. You know, we're basically two things: we're product development and commercialization, and then all the things involved with both of those fields. So we have a team of industrial designers and engineers and graphic designers and mm. marketers and video producers who can put all the pieces together to help someone develop and then launch a product, whether they're going to license, whether they want to license it, or, or whether or not themselves. they want to sell yeah. themselves. And yeah. then we have licensing agents so if they want to license it that's something we do if they want to sell it themselves then obviously they're building a company and you just pass it off to them you yeah then it's, them. they're yeah. just like a, a company who hires us to do industrial design which we do quite a bit of as well where right. corporations will hire our team to develop new products for them in particular inventions so like people come to us if they need an in, an inventive new solution or or a new angle on something because our specialty is not styling it's inventing coming up with new ways mm. to do old things mm. and so we've sort of developed this skill set where we know how to look at things from a fresh perspective and come up with ideas that you know are 
new, but usually not that comp. It's not like they're complicated. They're like things that are hidden in plain sight, mm. but everyone else is blinded by the past. So, you know, this is how a stapler has always been made. You know, this is what it looks like. This is what a stapler is. And, uh, so that, you know, one of the secrets to transforming a product and innovating is to not look at a stapler as a stapler, but to look at a stapler as a paper connecting system. Mm. So you're like, okay, we're trying to connect paper. Are there other options? And what would be the best way, given all the possibilities that exist today, both in materials and technology and mechanisms and manufacturing capabilities? Because so often people see what's been done before. They decide that's what the thing is. And then if they're going to improve on a stapler, they just try to make a slightly looking one, a cooler looking one, or they add a little feature to it. And I haven't worked on a stapler. That's just a case in point. But you know, the power squid's a great example where everyone was making strips uh, strips. And then as the transformer plugs, the charger plugs started proliferate as cell phones gave rise pretty soon, everyone had all these plugs. And if you're trying to plug them into a normal power strip, you'd cover up three outlets with one plug and it'd be very frustrating. And then so you'd have six outlets, but you could only use two or three at the most. And even to use those, you were like doing what I call the plug juggle, like trying to figure out what's the puzzle that allows you to fit them all in there. So it's kind of annoying. And then like, once you had, you know, two things plugged in, now you like get the third thing there, you can't pull it to where you're at. So it had all these constraints and the way people were trying to solve that at the time was making the strips bigger and bigger and spreading out the outlets more. And so the strips are just getting like really huge. And so the power squid, uh, you know, was just a fresh take. Like, well, why, why can't we have those little extension cords? And, and the way that happened was one night I was looking at my stereo and I was up, you know, late one night having a little insomnia. And, uh, I looked over, you know, the stereo saw the power strip with all the cords, the mess of cords. And, for some brief moment, I saw the cords coming out of it instead of into it. Mm. And then I was like, wait a second. <laughs> That's cool. So I like quickly did this little drawing, labeled it the power blossom. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then I brought it into my office the next day. And this is kind of in the early days of Trident. And, uh, you know, by the end of the day, it become a squid. And then that started a whole series of events that eventually led to that product coming out. So... That comes back to that noticing thing I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. So a lot of people probably saw that same thing or had this similar idea. Mm-hmm. Sort of the skill I've tried to develop over the years is is noticing when I have an idea that might have legs. Mm. So, so, how do you, so how do you notice something? By trying to, by developing attention to wanting to see, notice when something crosses your mind and instead of letting it come in and go out and never to be seen again when it you hear something or you see something or a lot of times i'll come up with an invention because i'll be like flipping through a magazine and i'll think i see something and i'm just like flipping through it and then it's like wait a second what did i just see that was a cool idea and then but it wasn't actually what was there it was a i miss saw it kind of like when i miss saw the power strip and saw the, the, the cords coming out of it i'll just like have seen something it'll i all i've thought i saw something that was really cool i'll flip back and it wasn't there that's not what it was it was something else but the thing that i thought it was was 
something cool, mm. something with potential. And so then I like write it down. <laughs> and then the next step. So getting back to the process, the next step after having that idea that either comes from your personal experience or from or, or noticing it, it's usually a combination of those, having that personal experience, then noticing that there's something missing is then to do research because just because you so you think well i've never seen that before it must right. not exist but there might be a patent on it already or it might exist and you just you weren't looking for sure. it before you're like oh i had an idea and i've never seen this before but then people just assume it doesn't exist rather than and thinking that they start like making it without right. <laughs> it's amazing cells. what i've seen people do like yeah. spend hundreds of thousands of dollars pursuing something without ever doing research and they do research but they don't look for it in detail they, they see what they want to see right well there's the, you know what they call the confirmation bias so uh -huh. people are looking to find what they want to find so if they're looking you know if i was looking at the power squid now you know i was like oh great idea now let's do some research and make sure it's not actually okay. out there and i just missed it and that just because i hadn't seen it before didn't mean it's not out there and i just hadn't noticed it and so then you know you look around and, and if if you're look at the first page and you search tentacled power strip right and then it's not there and you're like woohoo i'm home free you know yeah. and you're like well did you search power strip with extension cords or did you search power strip flexible flexible power you know then you and but usually when because of confirmation bias people like prove to themselves on the first page that it doesn't exist and then they stop because they don't want to find bad news mm. so they're looking actually to not find it rather than looking to find it so that you got to get real serious it's very helpful to get a third party mm. a, a patent attorney or a research, research firm team. that's what you guys do too right yeah, we, we do do that it's the first step of any process we have a research staff that uh, we look into the patents in the market landscape thoroughly and we spend 20 hours yeah. digging on any project because it would be horrible to invest thousands or tens of thousands of dollars in a product. And I have done this <laughs> only to find out that it, you know, it was out there already, you know, like some of those early mistakes I made, some of those early flops, bad decisions were me, you know, making the mistake of thinking that I knew what was out there because I hadn't seen it. Mm -hmm. And so in the fortunate success of that algae scraper early on afforded me a lot of mistakes. And mm -hmm. so I was able to make a lot of in products and have them fail and learn lessons from those. And I was very clear that I needed to learn. I mean, I knew I didn't know what I was doing. Right. You know, I knew that one product didn't make me an expert, but I knew that I was in committed to this career path because it was fun. Yeah. Like the first time I went into a store and saw my product hanging on the shelves, I was hooked because yeah. for me that was like, look, I'm anonymously fame. famous. <laughs> <laughs> it's like anonymous fame. I made, yeah, I made that. There's someone looking at it. Oh, 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 oh they're buying it. Oh my God. I just made $2, <laughs> you know? And, and that's now going to be in their home. Mm. And a little piece of me is in that house. And now there's little pieces of me and, millions of households so that's you know it's an interesting feeling often i will walk into someone's house and see a product that i invented or helped bring to market right yeah there's oh hi squiddy so <laughs> and uh and so it, it it that was what for me made it really exciting was just to realize that 
in a little way, I was impacting people's lives. And mm-hmm. so my personal bent, you know, some of our clients invent our surgeons who invent orthopedic surgical devices that are incredibly complex and, you know, over my head, but my, but not over the head of the brilliant engineers and designers that I've got. And so we figure these things out and help them to get them to market. Um, but my own inventions tend to be these, like, I, I think humble, mm. humble items, things like power strips or, or, uh, recently I onion goggles. Yeah. Onion goggles. So you don't cry when you chop onions, famous product, very successful product. Yeah. Uh, worn on TV all the time by celebrity chefs. And if you go on Flickr and search onion goggles, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of selfies of people wearing onion goggles. Mm. It's like a thing mm-hmm. to do just randomly. And they and uh, Phil on the Modern Family wore the onion goggles. That's and, right. so, and I have a picture of myself next to the TV. I'm wearing the onion goggles. <laughs> and uh, so is Al Bundy. Or, yeah, yeah. I forget his the actor's name, but... He's out Bundy to me anyway. Right, right. <laughs> so that's just cool. And anyway, so just to uh, get back to the process. So after you've done the research and you've determined that, in fact, there does appear to be an opening, then you've got to develop the product. And this is, you know, the onion goggle segues way nicely into this because when you execute your product, the thing is, is you, you're turning your idea now into a product. You've got to turn it into a great product because that's what succeeds. You know, that's why... Apple rose to the top. Not, mm. and there was a lot of execution side to it, and and a lot of the execution was in creating relentless pursuit of great products. Like so many people think, well, Apple can do that because they're Apple, but we can't do that because we're not. And, you know, and and all these companies say, well, you know, we want to be great, but we, you know, we just can't afford to to take the kind of, you know, attention to detail that Apple does because, you know, we don't have, but that's, the, that's how Apple got there. Mm-hmm. They weren't always that way. They weren't always that way. Lewis Howes was not always, you know, the famous social network entrepreneur that he is today. And he didn't wait until he became that to become powerful. He started powerful and then it happened for him because of that. Mm. And, so it's the same way with products. Like you got to create a great product. Great products. If you make a great product that works very well, has great design, and is based on a great idea, it will succeed. Mm. I guarantee it. If the product is great, it will succeed. If the product fails, then there was something about it that was not great. Mm. I, I guess the other piece of that equation is, and the value is great, meaning how much you get for your dollar. So if you create the world's greatest product, and you've got a you know thousand dollar vegetable peeler it's not so part of greatness is value density mm. a, a term i've developed which means like you're getting more for your for your money so if you create a you know the onion goggles you could you could use shop goggles you could use chemistry goggles it's, they're just glasses that protect your eyes from the fumes but we and they could have been $5 gimmicky, silly things. And a lot of people thought it was a silly idea. And, and there's a lot of haters on the internet for the energy goggles. <laughs> oh, there's a monotasker, silly product, though. They're also comfortable. And they're hundreds of thousands of extremely yeah. passionate fans of the onion goggles because yeah. they work. And they were made very nice. They're $20. They have anti-fog coating. They're made very nicely. They come in a case. Nice so that design. They, yeah, they, they look cool. We designed them so they look very distinctive. They don't look like any other type of goggle. They are onion goggles. They've become 
what onion goggles are. Now when people knock off onion goggles, which has happened several times, they look just like ours because everyone just is blinded by the past. They're like, oh, the onion goggles look like this. Right. We established that benchmark now that other people are copying. Right. So that's what we call a knockoff is when and, – and, you know, any successful product is going to be knocked off. And a knockoff, by definition, is just a cheaper version that's lower quality. And it's not a bad thing. It's an inevitable thing. They're going to happen. Mm. If you make some, if you knock something off, but you make it better, that's not called a knockoff. It's called an innovation. Mm. That's what an innovation is. Interesting. So, interesting. Um, so the onion goggles succeeded because we executed so well on the product, and then they became a sensation and have sold extremely well. And again, that was a, a product that was licensed, so we collected royalty on the back end. And the royalty in a typical product is five five percent. Yeah, I mean, the range is like three to eight for a typical product of five is normal. That's on wholesale sales, the price that the manufacturer sells it to the retail store for. And a lot of people hear that number, they're like, 5%? It's nothing. That's terrible. This is my idea. Well, a well-run manufacturer, based on almost infinite data from hundreds of years, and makes 10% to 12% bottom line. So you you sell something for... You know, twenty dollars retail. Well, it wholesales for ten because that pretty typically because people are doubling their money. But then you've got material costs. So you know, if you're selling it for ten, that means usually that you paid somewhere like five or six dollars for it. So you're actually only getting four dollars in margin. Now you got to pay sales commission. Now you got returns and defect allowances from the retailer Your overhead. And now you've got secretaries and warehouse people and blah 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 blah. And after all those costs, you're making ten percent. The inventor is getting five. The person who's taking all the risk, taking all the effort, doing all the hard labor of bringing that product, this is why it sounded like work to me, is like <laughs> getting double of what you're getting for doing nothing. Right. It's an amazing deal for the inventor. Yeah. Amazing. It's it's actually, I, at some level, it's like overly fair to the inventor, <laughs> except for the fact that that's the person who had the idea yeah. and they created value around it. And then they protected it, mm-hmm. and then they and they and they took the the biggest risk. Right. So they're getting the biggest proportional reward of anyone in the equation, right. bigger than the retailer. Like the retailer is doubling their money; they're getting fifty percent margins. Yeah, but they've got to pay for a store and employees and warehouse. I mean, it's insurance and all that. Yeah, stuff. I mean, yeah. It's, it's not like most retailers are making; they're making ten percent too. Yeah. So all these things, because of the efficiencies of the marketplace, have been driven down where like everyone's making 10% in the normal value chain right. on their money. And so it's a uh, very fair deal yeah. for yeah. the inventor. And you had, you had a pretty recent success with the hot dog slicer, right? Yeah. What's it called? The hot dog? Hot dog slicer. Hot dog slicer. And so an inventor Cleverly came- named hot dog slicer. <laughs> well, we wanted to call it the safety dog, but an inventor came to us uh, with the uh, idea of doing a cute... A hot dog cutter that would cut up your hot dog into little chunks that were not choking hazards. Choke, uh, hot dog is the number one choking hazard for children. Mm. It kills quite a few kids each year because the hot dog shaped just like a cork. And so the uh, guy comes to us with this idea, and this is this is how our business works. If someone's going to license their product, he he paid us a fee to develop his idea to do a hot dog cutter into a product. We we came up with the idea that it should look like a wiener dog and then figured out how it would work. You have a little tray, put the hot dog on it, you press the wiener dog over it and, you know, viola, you got a bunch of little hot dog chunks and then there's a little bowl in front of the dog that holds the ketchup. So Uh it's super cute. And uh, 
the reason we chose that is like back to that you know great design is like well part of a lot of people think the design is just the aesthetics it's just making something pretty after you've designed it but really the aesthetics is part of the function we call it the human function so that's how you cause a product to engage with the end user and successful products today especially are really engaging the human not just getting the job done but appealing to the person helping them understand what the product does and what the value of that product is to them and then with the hot dog slicer we realized well who's buying this why are they buying it is it moms afraid of their kids choking to death safety products are like that generally you know the data says they don't sell well Mm. but a cute little dog for eating your hot dogs is adorable and costs three fifty at Walmart. Sells like crazy. Yeah, I mean, we're, it's, it'll ship well over a million units this year. Mm. And so, so we developed it, prototyped it, filed for a patent, and then shopped it around. And then we found a person, a company, to license it after considerable effort. And that company then, uh, then manufactured it and sold it to Walmart, and it sold on a clip strip next to the hot dog buns. So amazing. Yeah. And then Dan, the inventor makes, you know, a share, uh, his percentage, his percentage, 60% of that's our deal. And, uh, then we get 40%, you know, it, it'll generate on for him. What was like a $10,000 investment or probably over half a million dollars in, in revenue by the time it's done based on the success it's had. Now the other side of that coin is that we've developed a lot of products, uh, that, don't succeed i mean mm. we're very good but we don't have a crystal ball and you know you just right, can't right. always win i mean it, 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 you get the products out there and then ultimately the consumer has to respond mm. and so we've had a, uh, you know we've had our share of successes and we've had our share of failures we've had our share of products we've developed who, which have never made it to market mm. so um you know we try very very hard with every one of them but it's just you know, you, obviously you can't bat a thousand and you can't even mm. bat 500, mm. you know, I think we bat around 300. So we feel pretty good about that. Right. Well, we've been, uh, I feel like we could talk for hours on this stuff and there's a lot that I want to cover probably in the next one on FIP, which is, uh, one of your philosophies and I won't spoil it for everyone. Now we'll come, we'll have you come back on again and talk about that and a lot of other things on inventions and innovation and designing your life because I think that's what's really cool for me to mm-hmm. learn about. So, uh, but until the next time, let's have you answer the question: What's your definition of greatness? Uh, uh, so I'll say I'll, I'll define greatness for myself, mm-hmm. not how I define greatness for other people, but like what I'm trying to do in myself for to be great is I think greatness for me, Chris Hawker, is to it's what I call being integral. So trying to be great in every aspect of my life. So living up to my potential, embracing life in in all of its aspects. So in my career, in my family, in my uh, body, I'm not an athlete uh, like you are, but I, I practice Tai Chi and Kung Fu and try to stay fit, eat healthy. I, you know, try to have a great relationship with my family and my friends, like really great deep connections with my family and friends as well as being well read as well as traveled as well as uh being an inventor and an idea thought leader so for me that's that's my path is is trying to really be 
great in, in all these different areas. Be great at everything. Be, well, as great as I can be. Right. You know, like I'm not, For you. I'm not measuring myself against other people, just against myself. Right, right. Gotcha. Am I, am, am I living up to my potential or trying to at least? Love it. Well, where can people find you online, Chris? I'm at uh, trident-design.com, or you can get me on Twitter at, at InventorChris. And uh, we got a Facebook page as well. So please, nice. yeah, feel free. If you've got ideas, we want to hear them. You know, we'd love to talk to you. It's free to talk to us and, and get some feedback on whether your idea has legs, whether it is, uh, you know, an, op- an economic opportunity for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's fun. I mean, in, I, inventing is like kite surfing. It's like, it's a hard thing. Challenging, but fun. Challenging, but fun. And if you can master it, you'll be the coolest guy on the block. It's cool. It's fun. And uh, it's it's exciting. I love it. Thanks, Chris. And uh, we'll have to have you come back on sometime soon and talk about everything else. It'll be my pleasure. Awesome. Thanks, Lewis. There you have it, greats. There are no such thing as a million-dollar idea, only million-dollar executions. So pumped that I could finally get Chris on the show as he's been a mentor and a friend for a long time. Make sure to check out his site, trident-design.com, and look at all the cool stuff that he's been up to lately, all the different inventions that he's created and put out there in the market. If you've got an idea for a product or an invention, feel free to go to his site. There's a form. You can, you can call their office and check it out. And uh, I highly recommend it as they're extremely successful at taking ideas that inventors have, bringing them to market, licensing them, and all that other good stuff. So make sure to check Chris out. Also, want to give a quick shout out to the review of the week. And this is over on iTunes. Customer review of the week goes out to Alex Designs. And Alex said on the headline, listen and follow greatness dash repeat. He said, the best way to have true wealth in life is to model greatness. Lewis brings great interviews to his show. I just addicted and I can't stop listening. So thanks so much, Alex, for the review. And there are a lot of other reviews out here. But please, if you have not sent us a review or written us a review, go ahead over to iTunes and just leave a quick comment click on the ratings and leave your rating. I'd love to hear your feedback, good or bad. I would love to hear whatever you have to say, but just please leave us a review so I know how to improve it for you in the future. And with that, guys, we've got a few killer episodes coming up in the coming weeks. I'm going to start posting these a couple times a week and see how that works for the next month. So get ready for greatness coming out at you twice a week. With that, you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and make sure to do something great.
Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals, knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've learned the hard way that constantly holding on to your emotions and repeatedly choosing to not talk about your feelings will only make you feel worse and worse. And up until about 10 or 11 years ago, I was afraid to talk about my trauma that I experienced. And I know we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-E-W-I-S.